Welcome to Men in Charge. I'm Tony Flynn. And I'm Kevin Decker. Yeah, welcome, but it's it's now season 11. Well, let's rein in everybody's enthusiasm yeah. on that. This is episode one of season 11, which we want to call the vestigial season. Yeah. Kevin, explain our rationale right after you give us this episode title. Yeah, so the episode title is Nobody Knows the Trouble We've Caused. And we're not about to tell you the trouble we've caused. It'll be up to you no. to find out. But um, we're proud of it. You may consider this season to be trouble to your ears because we put a lot of work into season 10. That's a big anniversary number, right? <laughs> it's the one that gets anniversary. Yeah, it is. But nothing good happens at <laughs> 11. In fact, bad things happen on 11, it seems like. No, no, they don't. say that. I think the 11 crowd is going to be a little cross. Well, I mean, they need to realize their place. When you're a kid, you hit the two decimal age group. The 11th, nobody cares. Yep, yep. In fact, that was when I started growing smaller than all the other kids. Usually, kids just grow more recalcitrant and unpleasant at that time period because they're 11. And it's so depressing. It's the you bad have to one. Act out. Yeah. That is the minimum age, or used to be at least the minimum age for the Low Heights Child Labor Force Camp. Oh, but I think it's lowered to about seven now. Huh. I think 11 is the official age in Russia for drinking kvass, which is technically alcoholic, but really not. Isn't it made from cabbage? Uh, no, it's made from bread. <laughs> it's, it's basically light beer made out of bread. That's strange. I think right. they should make it from cabbage. I, I think they should make alcoholic bread. <laughs> I think that that would be a great idea. <laughs> As you, you, just... you can tell, uh, listeners, this is what Kevin and I were talking about or we're about to talk about yeah. with season 11 of Men in Charge being the vestigial season, the one where we just give up. We phone it in. Phone we don't in. stay on track. Yeah. We're not worried about how long the sketches run. We're, we're going to run over if we need to. We might run short. But really, frankly, we don't care <laughs> no, anymore. We don't. We're going to have our alcoholic bread sandwiches and uh, right. probably just turn on some static for yeah. you. I think this is pretty much it, folks, until season 15 or some notable number like that. One where you get a pin for having been right. an employee there for That's over right. 15 months. That's right. I've lost all those pins, by the way. They're just too damn small. And they're jabby. I don't like the jabby and sort you, of pins. And if you lose the back, then the front of the pin is now worthless because the back was what was holding it onto your suit jacket. But or into your flesh. That's, that's why I've tried not to achieve anything ever in my life for fear that I'd be given a pin. Yeah, you don't want a pin. Fewer punctures yeah. from my lack of achievement. Yeah. Well, Kevin, we are contractually required to at least make some lackadaisical reference to our segments yeah. for this Can we just episode. Say, Can I just... There will just be some segments. There will <laughs> be. But we, we like to locate the listener to provide some level of preparation, indifferent preparation. Yeah. It's sort of like, oh, why change your underwear kind yeah. of preparation. Right. But we're going to go ahead out of habit. What's first, Kevin? First we have, ironically... Chapter 11 of Emily Wellingtonford. That's not ironic. It's coincidental. Okay. Well, well, let's just keep that, that it's both ironic and... <laughs> no, it's merely coincidental. Okay. All right. I literally thought it was <laughs> ironic. 
Yes, Sorry. you did literally That's, think that. Yes, I did. Anything that happens literally happens. Yeah. So this is interesting because the saga of this mine owner and usurer from Canada, Emily Wellingtonford, is now well into double digits. What happens in this episode? Well, as we'll recall, Archie Christensen fled captivity and clad only in a sheet, found refuge in the All-Canadian Womenhood Club, which ends up to be exactly where Emily Wellingtonford is driving her new protege, the singer Pandora Belladonna. What's going to happen? There will be a collision of wills. And um, Archie, of course, is nailed under the floor. May I also say that this sketch has outlived one of the things that it was originally made to make fun of, which is Rob Ford, the mayor. The crazy uh, jackass. Mayor. Yeah, that's right. Now, apparently, he's on a steamer to Indonesia, and it keeps circling in the Pacific Ocean. But we're still on the air, and Emily Wellingtonford is still around. So, Rob Ford, we win, you lost. Next, we have Dangerous Cousins-in-Law 3. That's right. So what's the caper this time, Tom? Well, if you recall, the dangerous cousins-in-law and their uh, unfortunate Uber passenger have decided to kidnap a bunch of mall Santas. Parking is hard to find at the mall, but they run into a very helpful Sheriff Coors when they accidentally discharge a firearm. Yep, he's always around when that sort of thing happens. (laughs) He cares more than we do, that's for sure. And then last, but certainly not least, we have a return to the world of writer Ann Porter's RV Rapture. This is chapter four in that saga. God, St. Peter, Fred, Margaret. This is full of some amazing large characters. That reach down beyond Paradise Lost to Paradise Foreclosed Upon. And we're about to see, I think, various new ways of rehabilitating or reforming Fred and Margaret's RV lifestyle. The problem, of course, is that God and Satan both have a stake in this now. So God is trying to make them better while Satan is trying to make them use more gas. To punish them and punish all of us. And now it's time for Emily Wellingtonford, Canadian mine owner and usurer. Tonight's episode, The Search for Archie. The time, 1927. The place, 6 p.m., where Emily Wellingtonford, Canadian mine owner and usurer, a youngish widow pining for the husband she never knew, rules the bustling mining town of Coronach, Saskatchewan, with a smooth, silky fist. The occasion for the place and the time is that Emily Wellingtonford has begun to bring the excitement of exotic Edmonton to Coronach having converted one of her ballrooms to a nightclub and importing entertainment from the farthest corners of Lower Saskatchewan. Her latest acquisition is the brilliant singer from Lockjaw, Pandora Belladonna. Meanwhile, Emily is shocked to discover that Archie Christensen, her paramour-slash-captive, has escaped, dropping from a balustrade and fleeing through a November storm. After sending her elderly and infirm servant, Mrs. Wepford, out in the storm in search of Archie, Emily and Pandora head off to a gathering of the All-Canadian Womanhood Club, where, quite accidentally, Archie has found shelter in the very bosom of that building. I love this time of year, don't you, Pandora? It's so violent and threatening. 
Well, Mrs. Wellingtonford, it's not my favorite exactly. Well, here we are at last. That's strange. When we were driving up, the lights were on, and now they're off. What can that be about? It's always open on six o'clock on whatever day this is. Pandora, be a dear and rap smartly on the clubhouse door. I don't want to disturb the silky sheen of my knuckles. Well, frankly, Mrs. Wellingtonford, I'd like to keep my knuckles smooth and intact, too. <laughs> oh, Pandora, you and I are so much alike. That's what I love about you. Now, do as you're told, or I'll have you arrested. Yes, Mrs. Wellingtonford. No one's here. The meeting's canceled. Everyone's gone home. Hide Archie. Put him under the floorboards. Charlotte, is that you? What nonsense. I didn't cancel the meeting, so the meeting goes on. It's the evening of my monthly address to all Canadian womanhood. Open this door immediately. You may be the president, Mrs. Wellingtonford, but I'm the chairwoman. I canceled the meeting. I only made you chairwoman, Charlotte, because I find your husband adorable. Now, open the door. I can't. It's stuck. Can't you use some of the dynamite we keep on hand for just such a purpose? Sure, but uh, we're all out of dynamite. May I, Mrs. Wellingtonford? I am getting soaked out here. It's very bad for my voice. Be my guest, Pandora. Nicely done, Pandora. I'll have Charlotte send you the bill for the door. Wow. You're as strong as you're remarkably tall. I'm a singer. What's that hammering? A couple of floorboards popped up. Warped. You know, November weather. That's enough hammering! Mrs. Wellingtonford is here! I certainly am. Everyone, this is my new singer for the Cornock Cabaret, Pandora Belladonna. I'd know that moaning anywhere. Wepford, what are you doing shivering in a heap under all those blankets? Didn't I tell you to go find Archie? Yes, Mrs. Wellingtonford. And didn't I explicitly tell you to search the mountains and the rivers? Yes, Mrs. Wellingtonford. In Wepford's defense, we did find her in the river. Well then, Wepford, if you're finished searching the river, perhaps it's time to search the mountains? Uh, yes, Mrs. Wellington. She's passed out again. Maybe she should wait until her body temperature gets up closer to normal. She'll last longer. Very well. But, Wepford, if you start getting a fever, I want you to be out in the cooling November rain immediately. Also, don't forget the mine shafts. They'll be nice and cold, too. <sighs> now, before I begin my monthly address, we have a crisis. As you have surmised from Wepford's moaning, Archie Christensen... The bold young miner who cuts a fine figure in his miner's garb and sets a tremble the hearts of all Canadian womanhood, whether unmarried, married, single but looking, or recently widowed, has vanished. <gasps> <gasps> if we did find Archie, Mrs. Wellingtonford, 
you could be sure that we'd trap him good. I'd make him a sandwich myself. And who might you be, you strange bedraggled creature? Hey, call me Gertrude DeLune. My name's Maisie. I am not the least interested. Charlotte, until Wetford is prepared to resume her search, let's do something to keep our spirits up before the meeting starts. I know. Let's have a round of whiskey sours. And Pandora, why don't you give us a song as a warm-up for my address to all Canadian womanhood? Uh, Perhaps it will also serve as a siren call to lure Archie back to me. I was wondering when you'd notice I was still here. Okay, how about this? Where's that damn piano music coming from? It's part of her voice, obviously. Do you really think I'd pay for a piano to be brought down here? There's a somebody I'm longing to see. I hope that he turns out to be someone to watch over me. I'm a little lamb who's lost in the That's all the time we have now for Emily Wellingtonford, Canadian Mine Owner and Usurer. Tune in again next time when we'll hear the following exchange. Charlotte, what's that thumping sound? It's coming from under the floorboards. It's just rats. You know, so close to the river. You mean there are rats under there with Archie? I thought it was just a couple of badgers. Welcome to the third episode of Dangerous Cousins-in-Law. Obsessive listeners will recall that this is a story of three women in a car. Darlene, a boober driver and former singer-slash-hand model. Melba, a retiree hoping to be driven to the airport for a trip to New Zealand. And Darlene's dangerous cousin-in-law, Regina, who once helped committing some sort of felony. As we begin this episode, we learn that Regina feels hurt that Melba has figured out what sort of felony she's been planning. To kidnap a bunch of mall Santas and hold them for ransom. 
Damn it, Melba. How in the world did you just figure out my Santa plan? Well, I... And why are you named after crunchy carbohydrates anyway? Melba, that's just wrong. Well, if you don't want me to be a member of your crew, Regina, Darlene can just drive me straight to the airport right now. That's Regina, remember? And I never asked you to be a member of my crew. I don't even know you, except that you're a snoop and a know-it-all. Nobody gets called a know-it-all except by someone who's embarrassed by her own ignorance. I am not embarrassed by my ignorance. Well, you should be. Just stop it, you two. How about we listen to my CD? It sold 13 copies, maybe more at some point. Okay, maybe that doesn't seem like a lot now, but... Wait, when will 13 ever seem like a lot? Well... Not anytime soon, Regina. But at least I broke up your silly fight. I still think Regina owes me an apology. Well, get in line, Melba. I was supposed to go to an audition this afternoon, but now I have to go commit a felony. So now everything's my fault, is it? You're just like your Aunt Louise's brother-in-law's second wife's sister. You mean your mother? Jerry's still out on that, Darlene. Anyway... It was always pick, pick, pick with her. Regina, why are you always in trouble at school? Regina, why are the police always coming to the house? Regina, why are you always in and out of prison? No matter what I lifted from the warehouse, there was no pleasing that woman. Now it's pick, pick, pick from you and little Toasty back there. I never liked that nickname. That's two apologies you owe me now. Why don't we save our apologies for after we kidnap the mall Santas? You're parking here? We're miles from the entrance. Come on, look around. This parking lot is packed. That's because of all the kids here to see Santa. What did you expect? I expected to be at an audition now. I was about to criticize Regina for being lazy and out of shape. But she might have a point about parking way out here. Isn't this a mighty long way to drag a lot of Santas in public, even assuming we can persuade them to be kidnapped? I can't believe I'm saying this, but little Toasty back there has just made an important point. Melba, welcome to the crew. Yes! Thanks, Regina. (sighs) All right. How about I drop you two off at one of the loading docks? Uh, And then you text me when you've collected a couple of mall Santas. And I'll swing back and pick you up. Excellent idea, Darlene. Now, I just need to check my piece. Wait! You have a gun? Of course! How else are we going to persuade the Santas to be kidnapped? Do I get a gun, too? No. Melba, why in the world do you want a gun? Well, you know, just to make things fair. Fair? If we really wanted to make things fair, wouldn't we need to give the Santa's guns, too? Hmm, I guess so, but that seems impractical somehow. What I mean is, if we're arrested and I don't have a gun, I'll only be charged as an accessory. Wouldn't that make me seem weak in front of the other cons in the big house? They don't call it the big house anymore. They call it instir. At least let me look at the gun. Let 
Let go of it. Don't let her have it, Regina. I I just want to hold it for a minute. I, for one, am glad my windows were down. That guy's windshield, not so lucky. Not my fault. I just wanted to hold the gun for a minute. Maybe aim it at something? Afternoon, ladies. I see we like to fire off a round or two in a crowded parking lot. Any of you got a permit for this weapon? Uh, no. No way. I don't believe in permits. And yet, they exist. Not on me. I mean, no. Well, uh, actually, that's a relief. I'd have to look them up in the database, file a report, blah, blah, blah. Bad enough I got a ticket that guy for his busted windshield. Thing is, I just don't want you to draw a crowd, see? Gunfire tends to do that. And then I end up on the local news, and my sergeant yells at me for embarrassing the entire department yet again. So how's about if you both just agree to share the weapon? Maybe pass it back and forth to each other every couple of minutes, okay? Okay. Okay. Alrighty then. Now have a nice day and stay safe. Well, that's all the time we have now for Dangerous Cousins in Law. Tune in again next time when we'll hear the head elf say... Sorry, all the Santas have gone back to the North Pole for the day. Try again tomorrow morning after 10 o'clock. Hello, this Adres Onopolis. Time-traveling Greek soldier. Many in charge. Reason why Trojan War actually fought. Well, folks, here we are. The Dynamax Angels. That's right, we may not have wings, but we do have a terrific RV. The Dynamax Force HD with cherry wood cabinets and coordinating window treatments. Fred, that's my husband, and I have died and gone to, well, not heaven exactly. It's hell, Margaret. Come on, Fred. At night, we have to park on the shores of Satan's Lake of Fire. What about the late night demon parties, the sulfur smell, those awkward parking spaces? If we'd given up our RV when St. Peter told us to, then we wouldn't be in this fix. How much of a fix is it really? I admit that the nights in Satan's trailer park are, um, hell, but Bitsy still gets to ride along. (coughs) And we spend our days on the road atoning for our gas-guzzling ways. What's so bad about doing good deeds? Every day? But all right, all right, all right. You keep an eye out for somebody in trouble. I'd like to wrap this up early so we can pull off somewhere and get some shut-eye. Okay, Lord. No naps. Jeez. Ooh, over there. A car at the side of the road. Looks like that man's car has a flat tire. Another flat tire assignment? My back is killing me. Okay, okay, I'm pulling over. Hey there. Need some help? My husband is really good at changing tires. Thanks a lot, Margaret. Get out of the RV, Fred. 
This is our good deed, and you know as well as I do that if we don't do at least one good deed each time we go out, then Satan owns our souls both night and day. Okay, okay, I get it. But quit shoving me out of the RV. Wait, wait a minute. How is this your good deed? I'm going to watch the man's dog while you change the tire. Here, boy. Here, boy. Arf! Arf! Let's get you a nice snack and a big drink. Arf! Arf! Aren't you a handsome devil? You called for the devil, and now, poof, here I am. <laughs> you must admit, I am a very fine-looking devil. Satan? <coughs> Mr. Satan, I was talking about the dog. Arf! I mean, he is quite handsome. And he's thirsty. The dog, the dog. Go back to your own car, you big cur. There, now, let's talk about me and my needs. Your souls. You know, Fred and I are keeping up our end of the bargain. You can't take our souls. We've been doing good deeds every day. The damned bargain. I don't like keeping bargains. Isn't that the truth? Satan, we've been sleeping in your trailer park for quite some time now, and I've noticed that your idea of maintenance leaves a lot to be desired. I have to say that with all your resources, there are improvements that could be made. The electrical hookups are second rate, and the walking paths. You do understand that it's hell? And you're Satan. Don't you have any pride of ownership? Pride? I like the sound of that. And the Mini Mart only carries off-brand snack meats. Gluttony, too. Only five more sins to go. The canoes for rent on the Lake of Fire need to be repainted. The boat ramp needs resurfacing. And the... I'm beginning to think that bossiness could be the eighth. Deadly sin. I think you've had it too easy. You could be offering better amenities. Bitsy misses her pet spa. And her Doritos are stale. Too bad. That other dog was big. Impressive. Your dog is nothing but an animated floor model. Oh, oh, you're... Your little mutt just bit my horse. Okay, okay. I'm leaving for now, but don't forget, I'll be watching. And that goes for you too, Bitsy. Margaret? Oh, Fred, thank goodness you're back. Was that Satan I saw leaving? I never noticed the limp before. <laughs> there you have it, folks. Our little Bitsy sure earned her Doritos today. Come on, Fred. Let's fire up the Dynamax and see what's happening down the road.
Tony, it's time to thank our cast. Why don't I do that? We'd like to thank Nisha Schramm, Nancy Roth, Maureen Hager, Kevin Decker, Tony Flynn, Ann Porter, Scott Herrick, and Jody Stewart-Strobel. We'd also like to thank The Bad Plus for our theme song, Seven Minute Mind, and we'd like to thank our writers for today, Tony Flynn and Ann Porter. And we also can't leave without oozing gratitude over the uh, the people that, you know, you can see they've made gargoyles of them in front of the station. Carrie Boyce, Vern Windham, Nisha Schramm, Nancy Roth, Savannah Asti, and the man who knew where all the bodies were buried, but then forgot, Brian Lindsay. 